Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm currently traveling right now with Craig. We're in Japan. Um, actually, by the time you hear this, we'll be back from Japan, but I wouldn't have had time to record a new podcast episode. So I'm recording this earlier. I'm breaking the fourth wall now. Maybe I should pretend like I've recorded this this morning. No, it's too late. But Craig is actually not here right now because he's in New York, although this was three weeks before you heard this. Oh my God, Adam, stop. Anyway, today's guest on Lunch Therapy is a good old friend of ours named Luke Matheny, who is an Academy Award winner. He won the Academy Award for his short film, God of Love, which was a thrilling night for us when we saw him go up there. And maybe you remember it. He had this big shock of puffy hair, and he made a joke about um, maybe he should have gotten a haircut, and it was really funny and a memorable Oscar moment. And since then, he's done all kinds of awesome things. He um, he was the showrunner for a show called Gordimer Gibbons Life on Normal Street, which was on Amazon. It's a great kids show. He directed a bunch of episodes of Marin with Mark Marin, who inspired me to start this podcast in the first place. And he has a new show um, called Ghost Rider that you guys should all check out. So we're not going to do our normal intro today because Craig's not here. So I'm just going to get started with Luke. And um, this interview goes in a lot of directions and it actually gets surprisingly emotional at the very, very end. So be sure to stick around. And um, I'm getting emotional now thinking about it. Um, and before we start, just as always, if you haven't already, feel free to subscribe to this podcast by just loading up Lunch Therapy and Apple Podcasts and clicking subscribe. And while you're there, if you can give us a review, I'd really appreciate it. All right. Well, here's my interview with Luke Matheny. All right. Well, hey, Luke. How's it going? Good. Good to, good to see you. Nice to be here. <laughs> yeah. Are, yeah. You, are you nervous for lunch therapy? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You told me over text message that you've been having uh, conversations with me in your head all week. I have. I mean, the second you, you send the text and it's like, you're going to be on there, it's hard not to just sort of think, all right, what am I going to eat? Yeah. What, what feelings would that evoke? What's he going to ask about that? Oh my gosh. So yeah. you really were like planning this. I mean, you were kind of thinking about what choice you're going to make for your lunch. Well, it was, at first I was like... You invited me, and thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a cheesesteak. Oh. And then... Wait, 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 don't tell me yet, though. Okay, no, but, yeah. I, but I'll just say... Yeah. And then you texted that the rule was to eat what you would normally yeah, eat. Yeah, sure. And then I thought, oh, well... That's not what I would have normally Okay, eaten. good. I'm glad that I texted <laughs> it. I feel yeah. like my two texts I'm going to tell guests now is... Um, one, eat what you'd normally eat, which is what I said to you. And the other, and I hope this doesn't apply to you, is don't eat at Dune Falafel. <laughs> Did you go there? Is that the closest restaurant to here? Yeah. And so like I've had like a couple of guests now who all went there. And so I'm like, oh, that's kind of like if you're like the kind of person that researches like where to eat in the neighborhood, that's right. where you will end up for lunch in my neighborhood. I see. Not to judge the people who'd made that choice, but right. um, or other restaurants in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we get to your lunch, I thought like we should do like a quick like overview of like who you are, your life. Okay. Like, and wow. um, I mean, the you know, the obvious thing that everyone probably brings up immediately is you're an Oscar winner. That's correct, yes. And you guys can't see him now, but he's holding his Oscar. <laughs> he carries it with him wherever he goes. Just kidding. Um, but that was exciting. That was exciting. <laughs> How uh, long ago was that? It was that? a while ago now. Yeah. Uh, 2011 was when it happened. Okay. For the, the 2010 year of the Oscars. I mean, I feel like that was an exciting night in my life when you won because I, I've had other people tell me that. <laughs> yeah, that I was mean, like, people have said that is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. I think it was because it, it was like you're, you know we were friends with you and like it was like oh we told the people we were watching with like oh our friend Luke is up for best short film 
And I don't think in any like universe we were like, he's going to win, not because we didn't believe in you, but more just like, it just well, seemed crazy. Yeah, what are the odds? Yeah, yeah. And then you won. And like Craig and I were like going crazy. We were just yeah. like, oh my God, you know? And then you had this memorable speech. No, I totally, uh, I totally get people's reactions like that, only because if it happened to a friend that I knew, like yeah. when I was in film school, I mean, I would be losing my mind. I would be just like Googling it constantly, trying to keep up with it, which people ended up doing. And when uh, it happened to you, were you, did you have any sense that that was going to happen, or did you? Well, it was a long road because it was like for uh, that category. Uh, you, first, you have to win like a festival to qualify for the Oscars, right? Uh, and I got rejected from lots of all, all the great festivals. Yeah, uh, and the only one that I really won was the Student Academy Awards, which was uh, about three hundred entries, which okay. is competitive, but compared to like Sundance, which is eight thousand, it's mm-hmm. like. Very uncompetitive. Right. So that just happened to be the one little it's like festival. It's the that Rutgers I to like the Yale <laughs> of, yeah, not totally. No offense to anyone who went to Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Or the student Oscars. Yeah. But the, um, uh, so that qualified me. So then there's a short list. Mm-hmm. So then you have a couple months where you're one of 10 movies on the short list. So right. you just wake up thinking, I have a 50 50 chance of getting nominated for an Academy Award for a couple months. Mm hmm. Then I got nominated. Wow. And then people started saying, good luck. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, that's right. There's going to be the actual Oscars. I could actually, because, you know, an Oscar nomination is surely well beyond anyone's expectations in film school. Yeah. And that was, I should say that was my film school thesis. It was called God of Love. Um, that's so crazy. For my master's program. Yeah. And it's funny because like, I'm familiar with a lot of NYU film student theses, theses because I'm married to a NYU right. graduate. And so like, the fact that yours went so far is just outrageous. It's also odd because it's not really a common goal at NYU. And right. NYU is a very Sundance oriented um, indie mainstream, or not mainstream, but like it, it's an indie uh, <coughs> approach for Generator, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think people are more like grand jury prize at Sundance is what they're thinking about. And mm-hmm. I was certainly thinking about that too, but I didn't get into the festival. That's so then, then it ended up, then the Oscars is, isn't really on people's radar. And then, yeah, then it, then it got nominated. So, yeah, it was three months thinking if I was going to get nominated. Then it was three months wondering if I was going to win. And I, you know, then you end up watching the other movies, <laughs> all of which were very serious. There were, right. um, there was like a R- Rwanda genocide one, like an end stage cancer one. Oh, my God. So you were like, there's no way you're going to win. A kid bringing a gun to school one <laughs> and another one where a kid accidentally kills another kid. So, Jeez. and then mine is sort of a frothy delight. But that's actually what, that kind of is probably like. That's that, why I won the Oscar. Yeah, because yeah. the judges were probably like, oh, my God, another, we don't want to watch another cancer movie. Well, know. and I think in the shorts category, people don't feel bad for voting for something like that. I think for like yeah. best picture, it's like, Oh, we need to support a more mm-hmm. important feeling movie. But I think, uh, you know, a well done short with heart and laughs, which I guess is basically what mine amounted to, uh, was enough to convince them. It also was, it, it always screened last of, of the five. So I think <laughs> you people, really thought about this. I mean, I had to, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like what, <laughs> but to me, like one of the most extraordinary things about it, well, it wasn't even just that you won, but it was also that you went up there in front of literally like the most important iconic people in the history of film. Yeah. And you were very like relaxed and funny. And like, you, you seemed like you were enjoying yourself and you had a great speech and it felt like, I think that was a big part of it too. Is like, that that ended up being this other, which is weird, because the short takes, um, you know, a year to figure out and like edit, like it's a long, a, a long period of time to mm-hmm. work. Um, but then the, the speech, which somehow got me just as much attention, yeah, <laughs> I feel like totally was, you know, me practicing 
earlier that day. Oh, did you practice? Well, they told you to practice. But you had that funny line about your hair, right? Like, I should have gotten That was the one thing I improvised. So, yeah. But I, that was the memorable. Yeah, that's true. That's a great way. I, I remember thinking about that because I was a 17th category to be announced. And yeah. I remember sitting there thinking, like, I should maybe say, like, a joke right at the beginning. And if you don't, if you haven't seen the visual attached to this podcast, Luke has very big hair. So, yeah. your line during the Oscars was, maybe I should have gotten my hair cut. Right, yeah. Yeah. That was sort of my little opener right at the beginning and that got a little laugh and then it just sort of you know really played from then on wow um well it was really yeah. it's interesting to hear you say that i've seemed relaxed because my heart was just like pounding not relaxed but i guess i don't know there was something about that, that joke and the, the way that you approached it felt didn't feel as stiff and formal as like a typical award winner who is <laughs> that's true reading a list of names well i also feel like for me to win is sort of like price is right <laughs> kind of situation right whereas you know colin firth won best actor I yeah think, you know it was his time I think. <laughs> right like, you felt like you got the sh- you got called down to the stage and right i mean it wasn't like people have been rooting for me for a, <laughs> a long time but your film was really good i, I, I mean that, and i'm yeah. a big like i mean i allowed to say I, I grew up as a big woody allen fan i don't know if i'm still allowed to be one probably not uh, no, it's uh and there's no question i mean manhattan is definitely a, a big influence yeah in movie. well it has that st- it has like a real jokey but emotional like right. thing. It's in black and white in new york city black and, and white yeah but i'm sure you're sick of talking about that but we had to get that out of the way well, no, no, i appreciate it i knew it would come up it's good to get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then the other thing is you've done um a bunch of other stuff but you gordimer gibbon yeah was a show that you did so i was the showrunner of a tv show called gordimer gibbon's life on normal street okay uh which was um on amazon it was one of their first kids shows mm-hmm. um I described it as sort of a supernatural wonder years kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was on, we, we did three seasons and um, yeah, I never really thought I was going to end up in kids TV per se, but uh, that's just uh, the pilot came my way. I really liked it and um, yeah, ended up being, uh, yeah, I directed about 10 of them and that's was oh, in the writer's room. And, you did Marin too. I just totally forgot about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, did, was, that was my first job. Yeah. And you know, Mark Marin has a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I should say that this podcast is very much based on the of the fact that I love listening to Mark Maron's podcast and I, I just the way he's able to get into people's minds. And yeah, you know. it's interesting working with him because. Like when you're just sort of hanging out between setups or whatever, when he asks you a question, then you can't help but think. Oh my God, it's like I'm being interviewed <laughs> on WTF. Yeah. So I end up like getting in my head more than I ever do, like with other actors that I work with. Or like, right. I don't know, I felt a little more obligated to like think of something clever to say or something. That's like your lunch that you wanted to eat before coming on here. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get into that. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, but is it, um, did I cover everything? I want to make sure, like. Well, that was, uh, so I was a showrunner, and then I sort of my most recent thing is um, I was uh, the lead director in a. EP on a new uh, kids show for Apple oh, cool. uh, called Ghost Writer. It's a reboot of this kind of 90s PBS mystery show. That's awesome. Um, a ghost like releases these mysterious fictional characters from books and the kids have to solve a mystery to, uh, you know, save the day. Is it true what they say, like never work with animals or children, like that classic line about. And I've done it all because <laughs> there were a lot of cats in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cats are really hard. Okay. Um, I actually like working with them. Um, I like working with kids. Uh, I think working with like a five-year-old kid is probably really hard. Yeah. But I tend to work with like 12 to 14-year-olds. Sure. They're usually old enough to be like pretty good. Yeah. And then 
young enough that they don't have that many ideas. Mm -hmm. So you can just pretty much tell them what you want them to do. <laughs> <laughs> and they're at that like 12 to 14 is like that, that emotional vulnerable age where you're starting to like grow up and yeah. And I think sometimes that really, if it's cause it tends to be a coming of age kind of thing that they're in. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're just sort of living these things in real time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So you, you sort of have that going uh, to your advantage already just right out of the gate. All right, Luke. I think we're almost there. But before uh -oh. I ask you, I was just going to say, like, what do you have like a big relationship to food? Would you say like is food something you think a lot about? Um, it's interesting. Maybe more, more and more. I certainly didn't grow up thinking about food. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in Delaware, right? Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah. yeah. You were in the parade, right? I was the Grand Marshal of the parade uh, after the Oscars. That's exciting. Aubrey Plaza was the Grand Marshal the year before. She's uh, she's the most famous Wilmingtonian, I think. She doesn't know who I am, but oh uh, yeah, yeah. I just met somebody who's good friends with her, and I think somehow Delaware came up and I mentioned you, and they they were friend aware of you doing oh. that. Yeah, and Joe Biden is from Delaware. That's too. true. Yeah, that's that's the biggest by far. Um, I mean, it's not a contest. Well, I mean, Judge, like, Judge Reinhold, you could all be. Oh, Judge Reinhold. Okay, well, that, that's a good. Yeah. Now that you mentioned Judge him, yeah, that's yeah. a tough act to follow. <laughs> right, Ryan Phillippe. Uh, oh, yeah. He was my first like real crush. He was. Uh, well, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio and then Ryan Phillippe for sure. Hmm. I feel like Ryan feels lucky to be in the company. Of oh, really? Leonardo DiCaprio. No, he's he, when he was in Cruel Intentions. That was like a gay rite of passage for a lot of people oh, really? my age. Cruel Intentions when that came out. Who I can't remember. I never saw it. It was Sarah. It was like dangerous. Sarah Jessica Parker. Parker. With, um, it was um, Buffy. Buffy. Oh my god! What's her name? Michelle Gellar. Michelle, Sarah, Michelle, Sarah Michelle Geller. Geller. I thought it was like Sarah Jessica Parker. Right. Um, yeah. Ryan Philippi. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like the movie, but there. But he was just very attractive in it. Hmm. Is he like the John Malkovich? I've never guy. seen Dangerous oh. Liaison. <laughs> I should see that. Um, okay, let's let's jump right. into it. So, Luke, what did you have for lunch today? He's taking a sip of water and, and he's All right. very nervous. I had a <laughs> burger at the counter. Okay. Um, I can tell you exactly what I put on it. Uh, the, so, the counter is a small chain restaurant. Mm -hmm. There's there are locations I've been to been to it many times. There are locations in um, Santa Monica, Toluca Lake, uh, Playa. Yeah. I just wanted the one in Pasadena, Mid Wilshire. Um, downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I've I've been to a bunch. It's like kind of custom made burgers. You fill it out, fill out a little form, right? Uh, with a little tiny pencil. I, I I'm familiar with the counter because when I worked in a writer's room, they ordered from the counter. So I've oh, had yeah, a yeah. counter burger. Yeah, before. popular uh writer's room. Yeah, lunch. Um, so I had a one third pound turkey burger. Mm -hmm. A multi-grain bun. A one-third pound turkey burger. You can order one-third, one-half, or a pound. Okay. So I just got the one-third. Uh, smoked Gouda. Uh-huh. Um, scallions. Mixed greens. Dill pickles. Artichokes. Wow. Okay. And then... <laughs> You're really blowing my mind here. <laughs> and then the, uh, the dressing that comes with it, I got three orders of the tiny uh, garlic aioli. Because you usually like cut it in half and then dip it in the dip the dressing. Turkey, smoked gouda, mm -hmm. pickles, garlic aioli, and artichokes. <laughs> yeah, and a shoestring fries, and I got an iced tea also. Okay, this is really like the uh, um, the a one fascinating thing, choice. The one thing I'll say about the gouda is, so I've been to this restaurant many times, uh huh, and I've slowly kind of perfected this specific one. Yeah. 
but they had brie on the menu for a long time. So it was, I had turkey and brie, for, and then uh, I do prefer that, that somehow they took brie off the menu, so I put the gouda on now. My wife's really into cheese, so I got, uh, she likes gouda a lot, so I think maybe that's how I got into that. But Were you by yourself, or did you go with your wife? Uh, no, I was by myself. I uh, was doing some Christmas shopping. And so when you went to get a burger as the thing that you would normally get, like how, how often during the week do you get a burger? Like, how often are you eating burgers? Uh, it tends to be, I mean, it's pretty specific. It's, it's usually if I have like a meeting, uh, we're in the east side of LA. If I have to go like to Hollywood or Beverly Hills for a meeting Uh and then I'll usually stop for lunch uh, after that. And I will, and that was actually where the idea came from. I was supposed to have a meeting earlier today. This is a big part of life in LA, but it got canceled. (laughs) Sure. That happens a lot. (laughs) Pushed until all of my meetings get canceled. That's why (laughs) I'm doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, currently it's rescheduled for the 21st of January, okay. but we'll, we'll see. Um, so yeah, I was planning to go to Beverly Hills and then go to the mid Wilshire location. So mm-hmm. was, and then when the meeting fell through, then I kind of panicked. I was like, Oh, that was my, I had it all figured out. Uh. Uh, but then I also, but actually give me time. So this morning I've been working on a pilot that I've been writing on my own. So I finished a draft of that and was like, okay, I can do some squeezing some last minute Christmas shopping. So I went to Pasadena where I knew there was a location of the counter there. We have an important question to ask you. Yes. So the, what, the lunch you were going to get to impress me or to, to like be, to represent you in a different way was going to be a cheesesteak, but then your real lunch was a burger. <laughs> so what is the difference in terms of how you think about a cheesesteak versus a burger? Well, a cheese. So I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, which is a half hour from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Cheese steaks to me are the most uh, delicious of all meals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just in the most straightforwardly uh, l- enjoyable eating experience. Uh, right. Just something about all the chopped up steak and uh, <laughs> the melted cheese, sometimes cheese whiz going through the whole thing and ketchup, like just really works for me. So was it about choosing a lunch that would have felt like more celebratory versus like how it represented you. Yeah. I, I think when I thought I was just going to pick my own, yeah. when I wasn't confined to the, just eat what you would normally eat rule. I was <laughs> Not like, a rule, a suggestion. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But you know, you, you, you I, you're the host. So yeah. I, I want to play by the rules. Well, I want you to be yourself. Right. So I think when I thought it was just like, eat, go eat your favorite meals. Uh, maybe what I sort of thought sure. it was supposed to be. That's interesting. So then I was like, oh, awesome. And cheesesteaks are profoundly unhealthy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, I think I was I was just looking for an, kind of an end of year excuse. Yeah. Uh, to because I mean, it's you know it's late December right now, so it's almost the holidays. So um, this makes me think about like your relationship to authority. Because it's like I was a perceived authority that was giving you permission to eat a cheesesteak. And then I took that permission away when I said, eat what you would normally eat. So what is your relationship to authority figures? Um, Sorry, I don't mean to get so deep and profound no, so let's quickly. No, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, well, I guess uh, my father was uh, pretty, um, I would say authoritative. Or he... Um, he was he was nice, but he was definitely like, uh, you know, if I'd have cast him in a movie, it would be like Harrison Ford kind oh, of okay. like. So yeah, he was a more very strongly conventionally masculine mm-hmm. guy who rough. Would you say uh, tough but tender? I guess yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah I mean, he was he was kind, but certainly like he was a Vietnam veteran. So okay, he's like my height. I'm six four, but like 
very, I mean, I'm very skinny, but he was like, uh, no, he was like a big, big, strong guy. Um, I would say like benevolent dictator. I didn't feel like I was under his thumb, but I never, um, it didn't even occur to me to question authority, I guess. Oh, that's up. interesting. So yeah, he would yeah. sort of like say where you guys were going to go, what you guys were going to do and where you're going to eat. Um, I'm not sure about f- my mom handled most of the, the food. Uh, I don't know if he was like calling the shots per se, but in terms of like me breaking rules or things like that, there mm-hmm. were sort of, uh, well, there were consequences, but I think, it was more, I, I broke the rules so seldomly that <laughs> maybe out of fear of whatever the consequences would be, it just didn't come to that. I don't know. It was an right. interesting um, parental uh, Figure. S- strategy. Or I yeah. don't know. Like, I, I have a three-year-old son now, and it's right. just like, um, the uh, I just don't have the same leverage somehow. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Like, yeah, you're very sweet-natured and sort of... Yeah, you'd, you'd be. I can't imagine you yelling, right? Yeah. Or it's like it ends up be, being in like a sitcomy way, right? <laughs> it's interesting how that. How I think like generations are sort of like reactions to their pre, the previous generation, mm-hmm. um, or or your awareness of what you know what you didn't like. Well, about I also that. think this generation of fatherhood is suddenly so different than previous generations. Mm-hmm. Like I, I always thought of my father as this like great dad, and, yeah. and I still I still do, of course, but like. By today's standards, like the level of daily involvement, mm-hmm. it's like maybe he was a D minus. Or like I was excited, like we would chat sometimes on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, whereas now it's like literally hours a day that I'm interacting with this two year old. Is um, that because it's just something that you and Maylene have decided, or just because it comes naturally? It just kind of worked out that way, mm-hmm. or it doesn't. It just, yeah. I mean, I, I'm certainly not trying to. I'm not consciously trying to spend as much time as possible. I mean, it, it is true. Like he's in daycare. Uh, so it's not like one of us is home with him all day. Mm-hmm. So I guess there is a sense of like precious time at the end of the day that you should be, you know, spending with him. Right. There's probably guilt induced a little bit, but um, I actually like it. Cause it's like a couple hours of quality time is pretty nice, especially like daily. Yeah. I mean, that's really nice. That's good for him. And who do you have that with anybody? I mean, like, uh, so, so that's nice. It's funny because my dad is, is a dentist and he worked really hard throughout my whole life. So mm-hmm. he would come home exhausted. And my mom it was very involved in our lives and would like call us all the time and stuff. So like as my dad's retired and stuff, like I've, you know, I'll still like just text my mom something and she'll be like, text your father that too. Like he wants to know, but they'll be together. So I'll be like, why can't you just show dad what I just texted you? Or, you know, like I'll call her number and she'll say, why don't you call his number? I'm like, because you guys are always together, you know. Why, but, why is she asking you? Does she just wants you to include him? Or, yeah, or yeah, just yeah. To, to, to show him that, like, I think I'm just as close to him. Oh, oh, but I, I just think I see him as just being so attached to my mother that, I don't know, it's just, it's just an interesting it's right. thing. It's like once, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, a, your parental role gets set very early, whether you're very involved or That's not. That's true. And yeah, it's hard yeah. to reframe that later on. Yeah, for sure. Um <coughs> well, I was going to ask you though about food mm-hmm. with your son. Does he eat like grown up foods yet? Is he-, he has tons of allergies. Oh, how did you figure that out? Um, well, you're supposed to, or oh. what we were doing was the, you know, introducing one tiny food, tiny bit of food at a time of different foods. We, and my wife definitely was the, um, 
ringleader of this. And uh, no, it was very methodical. And then we got to peanuts and then he, um, we just gave him like a tiny bit of peanut butter on his tongue. Um, and he broke out in hives. Really? And started like uh, crying and sneezing oh and went to the emergency room. God, no, it, was, it was terrifying. Scary. No, that was definitely the first, uh, like my wife and I just kind of looking at each other and saying, so emergency room. And then, <laughs> Oh wow. And so, well, the, the, the thing everyone's worried about is anaphylactic shock. Yeah, so that's so what we I were thinking. in the, um, we had nine one one on the phone when we were like in the car on the way there. <clears> and you're actually, if, if someone is going through anaphylaxis, you should just call, you shouldn't get in a car. You should just call nine one one right away. But, uh, the guy was asking us questions. And once we established that he was, the kid was breathing fine. Yeah. Then, then I knew it was, it was going to be fine. Like, but still, it's got to be terrifying. It, it was totally nerve wracking. But yeah, to feed like a little peanut butter and then to have that reaction is totally. Be, but yeah. but also in the nine one one operator's defense, which I'm great. It was just nice to be able to understand like, oh, okay, he's not going to because there's like having a crazy reaction is one thing, and then like not being able to breathe is like truly horrifying. Sure. So, so it was nice to not kind of feel that. Yeah. Um, and so what else did you learn as you fed him different things? Oh, it's um. Peanuts, eggs, dairy. And so each time it, the same reaction happened or it was different reactions? No, the, the, the true peanuts and eggs were like, and shellfish were like the bad reactions. Um, is that common to have shell? I could have heard of shellfish and peanuts as something people are allergic to, but hadn't heard of eggs. Oh yeah. Some people are allergic to eggs. <coughs> and is he allergic to eggs like in baked goods? Mm-hmm. Wow. So he's got a, he's going to have a very limited. Right. I mean, it's, it's very likely he'll grow out of some of them, if not all of them. Oh, that's good. And then, yeah, there's like a, basically uh, for you listening at home, he's, he, he's had loose poop for a long time. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're trying to uh, figure this out. We'll attach an image to the podcast <laughs> okay, so you guys sure. can uh, look I at I do that. actually have some photos of my, oh. you know, sometimes I have to like send one to my wife to like, because <laughs> we're, that's all you can really do is sort of monitor it. So yeah. we took like gluten and dairy off of the table too but i don't know we're, we're trying to figure it out does anybody in your families like you or millions have food allergies like that i had some uh like highly acidic foods bother me a little bit sometimes right but mainly. not to that degree though right like and, oh no nothing and there's no food i'm just straight up allergic to and uh-huh. I, I don't think maylene is either uh we have bad like seasonal allergies but mm-hmm. yeah somehow you just really uh really got them so yeah some of these it's weird like a birthday party at school, which I used to remember is kind of like a fun thing. Yeah. It now just feels like this, like a daycare. Like I, I have to go just cause I don't want him to accidentally eat something. I think that's gotta be like one of the hardest things as a parent to like want your kid to feel free and like get to have fun, but also just sort of like want to well, protect them. I mean, he's three. Like, yeah. like right. he's not going to be able he's to not want to ride yeah. off on his motorcycle yet. <laughs> right. And the school's great, but it's just like, I mean, I could see how he could easily grab something and eat it. Yeah. Because at this point, he just doesn't know. But in terms of your taste, because I'm going back to your, I'm thinking now okay. of your burger and all the eclectic things that you had on it. What made you choose each of these things? So can you go back over what you had? Because <laughs> it, it's I, interesting. I, I think the artichoke was the one where like That's my, the one that my head really like rotated on its axis. Not, not in judgment, but more in surprise. <laughs> okay. I've never heard of an artichoke on a burger before. Uh, marinated artichokes. Yeah. Um, Okay, so it had gouda and then mixed greens, scallions, dill pickles, and marinated. Can we stop at the gouda though? Because I want smoked gouda. Smoked gouda. So when you chose your cheese for your burger, were you thinking you wanted something smoky? Is that why you chose the smoked gouda? What 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 was the? Well, these are my options: Tillamook cheddar, which I do like, but then feels a little boring. Yeah. 
And what I'm really thinking is, I just wish the brie was there because I really liked when they had the brie. <laughs> and uh, what did you like about the brie? I think when I was in grad school, mm-hmm. there was a Cosi right near the. Uh, yeah. The, I, I used uh, to go there. Yeah, yeah, right, right near NYU. Yeah. And they had like a turkey brie sandwich, oh, which so, I got all the time. So it brought back memories of that. Yeah. It was like your rosebud is a brie mm-hmm. on a burger. Oh, and turkey burger, too. So brie and turkey. Like, yeah, so yeah. I think I was recapturing that a little bit. But now you went straight to the smoked Gouda because it sounded exciting? I think it's because uh, I enjoy eating Gouda <laughs> with my wife. And that's pretty much where the thinking stopped. But the sen- there's sentimental attachment to, sentimental both, attachment. to both cheeses. To oh, the, for sure. To the um, brie and the Gouda, you had like, some sentimental reason for cheese. Oh, yeah, it. like get provolone American Swiss feta... Herbed goat cheese, Danish blue cheese. Like I don't really have a sentimental attachment to the other one. So, so having some like some emotional trigger is a good. I think if I'm shown a list of things, I'll yeah. probably pick the one that's a little more emotionally relevant to me. <laughs> that's as oppo- amazing. As opposed to, um, I, I guess I don't have such strong feelings about the food, right? But you so kind of I, do, though, in a weird way. Or I have strong feelings, maybe not strong like opinions, or like yeah. it's not like I'm weighing whether the Swiss will taste better than the American per se. But one of the one of the goals of this podcast is to reveal that like everybody, regardless of like you're a food writer, or, like a, a, a recipe developer, or a critic, mm-hmm. or like, a director, or you know, right. has a relationship to food that is symbolic in some way to what they think is important in life. I, mean, I can't disagree with that. Yeah. There's probably something to it. Well, I mean, already, like, yeah, I, 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 I mean, feel like this, this is great stuff. No, uh, I mean, I yeah. feel I was so fascinated, like when I brought up the authority thing, like how quickly like that got so personal. Cause like, I wasn't even thinking when I said that, that it was going to go down a, a path like that. So, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's weird to me that like if someone else misinterpreted the same way as I did and their, their first instinct was like, oh, I'm going to be in the show. I'm going to get my favorite meal. Cause I think that's what it's supposed to be. And then you text me back and say, get what you would normally get. Huh. I feel like most people would be like, oh, I should get what I normally get. That's interesting. Well, maybe I shouldn't text people to get what they normally get. Maybe I just feel like eat lunch and come on. Or like if you just said eat whatever you want for lunch, for yeah. instance, then I would have I would have gotten the cheesesteak and I probably would have been here to celebrate. And I would have talked about, you know, <laughs> when I worked at Subway, when I was in high school and how I would like go to the, <laughs> the deli next door to get the real uh, cheesesteaks and how good they were. But it's interesting because I've had guests on here who are absolute passionate food people who, when I said, get what you would normally get, they still went and got the most delicious thing they could think of. You know, like there it's, uh, in- it's interesting that. You st- oh, oh, that's interesting. You stopped yourself. Like something stops you from getting the most delicious thing you could think of in your normal day to day life. Like, why not get a cheesesteak on a Wednesday afternoon? This is good stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you. Do you think you deserve the cheesesteak? I guess not. Oh, my God. I feel like I deserve the counter. Oh, see, there we go. I have a box of tissues on this table in case this gets emotional. Um, well, I think it's interesting. I mean, I've just, I've noticed with a lot of working creative people who are successful, food is almost fuel. Like, it's just like something they just shovel in your face to get on to the next project. You had this meeting, you, ha- you know. Yeah, yeah. So is that, when you talk about lunch being special versus just ordinary, is it sort of to take the time to have a nicer lunch? Is that the part of it that makes it feel special? Or, um, Well, I guess it's a couple things and when you talk about like food being fuel yeah like for instance i so i was in toronto for maybe six of the last 12 months Mm -hmm. 
which was a long time to be away from my home. And, uh, you know, I had a two and a half year old. Yeah. And, um, it was a very busy job. Sometimes like hundred hour weeks. This is the, the sh- Apple show. The oh yeah. Ghost writer. Ghost writer. So like <clears throat> just an insane workload. And we were, sh- the stages were in a uh, suburb of Toronto and the crew always made fun of me because they kept asking me like, have I explored these great restaurants in Toronto? <laughs> yeah. It's a big food town. But every night I would go to, there was like a big mall uh-huh. uh, and in, like the parking lot across from the mall. <laughs> It was uh, Red Lobster, um, Jack Astor's, which is sort of like Fridays, I guess. And Jack Astor's? Jack, it's like a chain. Okay. It's a bad name. Jack Astor's, yeah. 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 And then uh, Scatabush, which is basically like Olive Garden. Okay. So, so like it was corporate mall food, mm-hmm. which to me, I, it was just like an easy decision because – it was stuff that would taste good to me. Yes. And they had tables. Cause you go to these fancier restaurants, like in a bigger city, yeah. you can't work. Cause like, I don't know. So I, I just liked having a booth that I could put my laptop out and I, I could just that. work. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually like talking to the, <laughs> I like going to a place again and again. So like the staff knew me fairly well or, you know, by, by the end of it. That makes me think that the counter was a good choice for your lunch because that is the kind of place where you can kind of go with a laptop. I mean, it's like you can do whatever. You can treat it in the same way you treated those places. Oh, for sure. No, I've definitely yeah. gotten a lot of work done at the counter. So it's, it is more representative of you in a way. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I like the uh, – I mean, because there's obviously restaurants that are about that good and about that expensive yeah. that are lunch options. But I guess the um, – I guess I like this questionnaire thing. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I, I, or I like the customization part of it that I can sort of get what I feel like anyway, and I can get it like exactly right. So maybe it's like you, within the parameters of a structure, you like to be able to control your your fate, but you like the structure around you to kind of yes. make you feel safe. Just make any, anything understandable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there, you need to have like rules before you can like improvise. Yeah, that's within. Them. That's really interesting. Um, oh yeah. So then it's like, and I, maybe there is something a little artistic about, or says something about anyone who goes to the counter. Like everyone's going to fill out their thing like a little differently, <laughs> right? And you certainly filled yours out very differently. <laughs> you must have been the first guy that had that combination in maybe like a year. And sometimes I, I like smugly smile as I hand over the thing, uh. thinking. I'm the only one who's gotten this today. Is that part of the appeal? Mm, of- I would I would say no. The 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 real smug thing and what I didn't get today because I didn't quite feel like I thought it would make me too sleepy during this interview. I usually get a milkshake at the end. Oh, peanut butter and strawberry. Oh my gosh, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, yeah. I and, got and, it. And yeah. That, that, that's, <laughs> no, that, I always say peanut butter and strawberry, and I wait for them <laughs> to say, "Oh, like peanut butter and jelly," and then sometimes they do, and I'm like, "That's right." <laughs> And then, wow. but then sometimes they don't react, and I, then I'm like, you know, like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, but so you want you, you want to make sure they get it. Though. It's not that I want them to get it; I want them to say, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" I'm going to call corporate and say, "Let's put it on the menu." <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're kind of like like the um, what's the word? Like the I don't know why I think of Don Quixote or something, but like, <laughs> but it's like just having at windmills. But like this, it's like you walk into the counter and it becomes like you may as well be at the French Laundry. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from a sane person's perspective, that's probably right. But to me, I'm just like, oh no, this is totally reason. This is an amazing meal. Like, didn't you once like write a, a version of Don Quixote as a screenplay? I had a feature called Ron Quixote. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny because as I was thinking, I, for some reason, I was like, this reminds me of Don Quixote. I don't know why. I think it's the windmills as giants. It's like yeah. this thing that 
doesn't really isn't really that big a deal takes on a huge meaning to you in the moment. That's a lot of my life, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about the scallions. The scallions, uh, I guess I like onions. Mm-hmm. Were onions an option? Yeah. But that's it's more different to get the scallions. So. But I feel like it's like too much onion yeah. takes over the whole thing. So to me, it's like scallions, give me, it, give me enough of the onion. Right. And then... And like, that's that. And again, like my wife is really into food. I would say probably since I moved to LA, which wasn't that much long before you'd got here. Yeah. I got here 2011. Where like, (coughs) I possibly didn't know what a scallion was before I moved to Mm. Los Angeles or like just a real like lack of culinary, I guess, interest and knowledge. Well, this might be a good segue into your childhood in terms of the kind of food you ate growing up. Sure. So what did you eat growing up? Um, I was a really picky eater, mm-hmm. as is my son. Okay, um, he's picky on top of having tremendous food allergies. God, and then like, and my wife really has a sense of adventure when it comes to eating. And then when I just see him like devouring plain pasta and being fine with it, yeah, I'm like, this is my fault. <laughs> like, oh, like, is that I, how you are? I've contributed these cheese. Well, I, I don't know if I had blandness per se, but. I had pancakes every single morning for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And your mom made it? Yeah. Okay. There was always like a batter, uh, a bowl of Bisquick <laughs> batter in the fridge. And, and what it, ages was this? Like how long in your life did you have pancakes for breakfast? Every day before school. But like through high school? Maybe near the end of high school it slowed down, but no, that was, yeah. Did you ever learn how to make them yourself or did your mom always make them for you? Sometimes I would make them myself. Okay. Uh, but my my mom usually did it. And if my dad was around occasionally, but it, my mom was usually one who was home around then. And would they put things in the pancakes like chocolate chips or, or no, berries? The, uh, it was Bisquick, milk, egg, and then a little sou- sour cream. Was oh. the, uh, that was the special little thing. Yeah, and I, I always liked them uh, sort of th- thinner. Sour cream is smart, though, because it reacts with the um, baking powder and it probably like, makes it... Well, you said thinner. I was going to say it would make it puffier. No, they weren't puffy. They oh. were rather well, huh. and, and I think I used a lot. Of, we used a lot of milk too. So, oh, like, maybe that thinned it out. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very thin batter. So, I that and Mrs. Butterworth was pretty much breakfast every single morning. And, and do you was, still have that today? We don't really do it anymore. Um, I've yeah, I've made it for my wife once or twice, maybe, but like. Um, but no, that is that was every every morning for breakfast, and then like pop tarts kind of came into the equation right. during like high school. I went through a real pop tart phase in my life in college. Pop tarts and kick cereal, kicks. Yeah, when I was like studying for a test, I would buy like a big box of kick cereal <laughs> and just like shovel it into my face by the handful. That's a very specific yeah cereal. I don't know why I like that. That's it. your artichokes. Oh uh, yeah, maybe yeah. yeah. I'll go put it on a burger. Um, but wait, so with your but it's, so it's, that was pancakes for breakfast. So pancakes what, for breakfast, lunch. It was usually uh, like a sandwich with deli meat, uh, mm-hmm. Lebanon bologna, uh, ham, turkey, mustard kind of situation. And your mom would make this for you too. I would always make my own lunch. Okay, and did you have a brown paper I, bag? Or I had to make box? my own lunch starting when I was six, and I always oh. yeah. So I had a lot of chores. What do you think that taught you to make your own lunch? Um, I think it, uh, well, it, it wasn't that hard and I sort of got it the way I wanted, which maybe has a little, like, yeah, <laughs> I get the counter the way I want kind of too. Oh, that's interesting. You get to control um, things a little bit. It made me resentful or like 
not resentful, but like, like comparatively compared to neighbors, like I had much more chores than uh. other kids. So then, but I look back on it. It's not that it was like super hard. I wasn't like on a farm, but like, do you uh, have a good work? Do you have a really good work ethic now? I would say that's probably true. I don't, but I also know I people think. who have Maybe amazing. I, I know people who have amazing work ethics who did not have tons of chores either. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have them growing up, but I kind of wish I did. Like I, I had to do the whole family's laundry and everything. Really? Starting in like second grade or so. Second grade, you're doing the whole family's laundry. I mean, it was just me and my parents. I'm the only uh, child. Still, but, that's, that's that kind of intimate. But it was like Saturday morning. Yeah, I would have to. I had to have like the second load in by like 10 o'clock or I couldn't watch ca- cartoons. This wow. is back when cartoons were only on Sunday morning. Or Saturday so, morning. so is that why like these little freedoms of like getting to choose the toppings on your burger? And, it feels like a I'm, massive treat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We never had dessert or anything. So like treats were uh, not really a thing. That's why you lit up when you talked about your peanut butter and strawberry milkshake because you got, gave yourself a treat. People have said have noticed and maybe it's just the way my face looks but like they they notice i smile very big when i'm talking about sweet food oh okay (laughs) he's smiling huge right now (laughs) it's like a maniacal grin i wish i could describe it to you but i've never seen anything like it before uh so yeah that that happens um so anyway it was like well just to finish the pancakes for breakfast lunch of my own making and then my mom uh it was like pasta with uh, spaghetti sauce often. Yeah. And then like the craft Parmesan kind of stuff. What's your family's cultural heritage? Like where are they from in the world? Like your ancestors? <laughs> My mom um, grew up in uh, a small town in Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, that's all uh, kind of German. Mainly. German. Okay. A little bit of French, but mainly German. Uh, but were there German recipes that she had? My grandma, for sure. It was Pennsylvania Dutch. So oh, like, okay. Style. Yeah, so like pot pie, mm-hmm. um, Pennsylvania Dutch style pot pie, which is a lot different than the what is that? Kind. It's um, it's kind of more like a stew. It's uh, you, you get a bunch of maybe two inch square little pieces of dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have like chicken and all the broth, the dough. And then like celery and carrots and stuff and you just and potatoes. Okay. And you just kind of keep layering those. Um, Sounds good. It's really t- and then you, I serve it with a little vinegar. You serve it, or like with vinegar. You, you but just, you make it. I mean, like when do you make that recipe? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You cooked. I well, I co- I have a couple dishes, you know. Oh. Uh, but yeah, that's one. Yeah, no, that's my favorite. Uh, my wife's a pescatarian, so I don't really make the chicken pot. I've tried to do it with um, what do you call it the. Uh, portobello mushrooms but it, uh, it doesn't it's not as good it's not as good i've made like beef bourguignon with portobello mushrooms and i agree like texturally it's not the same yeah it's like my wife will like it but i'm like well i mean you can't really yeah you don't know how good it is on the other right side. well your family is going to be tricky to cook for as a good as everyone as frank grows up i feel yeah, like yeah, you're going to have a lot of it's true things. what i feel bad is I, I feel bad about visibly enjoying all these things that he can't have <laughs> yeah time. So if you ate like meat and like peanuts in front of your wife and child, they would be very triggered. My wife's definitely fine with me eating meat, but yeah. like, it's more like, it's just going to be weird to like enjoy something that I know he can't have and him watching me enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm spinning it a little bit of like, if he does ask or complain about it, it'll be like, this is a vote 
for your future because I think you're going to grow out of these allergies. Oh, yeah. And that's how confident I am. So that's, I hope that actually happens. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> retroactively. What are, like, what are oh, the statistics never. in terms of growing out of allergies? It's very common. To grow out of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> if, some people have them for a long time for sure, but um, I, it, it, it'd be very unlikely that he would maintain all of these allergies for... Um, but wait, so we were talking though about your dinners growing up. So you, so your oh, mom yeah. would make spaghetti or the pasta, pasta, and then but she wouldn't make the food of like her mother, like her grand- German heritage. No, I mean my grandma was pretty involved. Uh, my grandma lived about two hours away. Oh, okay, um, in near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. uh, and called Mechanicsburg, and she was actually a big part of my life and. Uh, she was definitely the keeper of those sorts of recipes, like uh, chicken pot pie, chicken corn soup. Those were like, oh, interesting. Th- those were the big ones. And I, I, she always took me and my cousins on like a trip. My grandma, uh, like one one week out of the year, and like, no, it was great. We would have these big mason jars of what do you call them? Ball jars, whatever. Those, yeah, those mason jars. Ones. Yeah. Um, of what? Of chicken corn soup, chicken pot oh. pie, deviled eggs, things like that. She would put them in jars. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I remember once she came out in college when I was in, co- I went to Northwestern in Chicago and she like flew out to visit me and she took like pot pie on the plane and like a, this, this is like the late nineties. So like you wouldn't be able to do it, but yeah, but uh, yeah, everyone at security was really curious. Like, what, like what <laughs> that's so sweet. And you're like, like, it's chicken pot pie for my grandson. Were you excited when she showed up with it? Oh, I asked, I mean, I knew it was coming. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had, I don't, I don't, I never really had anything like that in my family. My grandmother once boiled a cabbage and put Mrs. Dash on it and fed it to me. And I thought it was the best thing I ever tasted. But I think it was just like the idea of my grandmother making something. But now when I think back on that, it's like boiled cabbage with Mrs. Dash is not really that delicious. And what about your father's side? What, what was their cultural heritage? Um, oh, I should also mention my mother's side. We recently found out in a 23andMe ancestry test uh-huh. that she is half Jewish. Oh, uh, and the person we thought was my grandfather was not my grandfather. Wait, what? Yeah. You found this out from 23andMe? Yeah. I gave it to her as a Mother's Day present. Oh, my and God. she turned out to be 49.8% Ashkenazi Jewish. Like, they give you the, they tell you very specific percentages of where you are, where your genes came yeah, from. Yeah, so that she knew that her father it couldn't have been who she thought Well, we just her. saw those. We didn't know anything. And then we're like, then we're trying to figure out which parent was... Jewish, right? And then it's, it's like in a sm- pretty conservative small town, yeah, where the, both of them grew, like they grew up in the country in Pennsylvania. So not only would they have to be 100% Jewish, all of their ancestors would too. And it just was like, this is like the greatest act ever, or like the, uh, the, 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 the they were able to conceal that. Knowledge. So this is her, so then we mother. put together her mother, yeah, so her, um, yeah, her, yeah, her mother, well. Your grandmother who made the German food. My my grandmother who made the German food is my biological grandmother. But she hooked up with a Jewish yeah, so, guy. So there was a Jewish guy. Which she wasn't alive to ask her? No. Wow. Um, this is scandalous. No, and it happened. This is the biggest revelation that's ever come out on my podcast. No, it's, it's been very exciting. Because yeah. then the guy we thought was my grandfather married my grandma like six months before my mom was born. So we just always assumed it was like a shotgun ah. situation, but, uh, it was wartime. Um, my grandma actually lost her first husband during the war. Okay. Uh, love of her life, which she really talked about forever. Um, so I think it was just like a tough time for her. Yeah. I asked my aunt shorty about it. Uh, aunt shorty. Yeah. Wow. She's, 
my mom and I like visited because we were trying to get some more information. Aunt Shorty is the only surviving. She's like in her nineties. She's the only oh. surviving member of that generation. She's your mom's mother's sister. Uh, my mom's, uh, my mom's aunt. Oh, okay. Her, yeah, yeah. but from like her mother or her father. Uh, it was. It's my mom's aunt on my. On my on the mom's side. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so she's the sister of the woman who had the. She was the, sister-in-law. Oh, her, okay. Her, her right. late husband. Sorry, this is her, very yeah. specific for right, people right. who are listening. They're like, sorry, pulled over to the side of the road to get the specific. <laughs> right. like, I must know. But, <laughs> but anyway, and she, so we were like, "What did you know about it?" Yeah. And she was like, "Well, at that time, Grace was pretty uh, independent." Yeah. <laughs> she worked at a department store. So does this mean you're? Um, <laughs> Which I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen Carol, so I know I know all about <laughs> department stores. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah, a Carol, a, uh, a straight Carol situation, I guess. A Jewish Carol. <laughs> yeah, a Jewish all right. straight Carol. Does that mean you're a quarter Jewish? I'm a quarter Jewish. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, welcome to the tribe. Yeah, man. Most of my life, people have thought I was Jewish. So yeah, yeah. I've always thought that. Yeah. Now, so you have a quarter of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I celebrate. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So, and then your father. Two fa- nights of Hanukkah. And your yeah. father's side was what? Like, what was there? And so they were from. He grew up in Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were very much like. Uh, Pioneer uh, Oregon Trail kind of uh he yeah, he grew up on a farm in Oregon. Um uh British Irish, uh maybe a little Western Europe. Or did he like French stuff? Know all about like good ingredients and growing things and Oh, he didn't for food? Well, because he said he grew up on a farm, so I would say like he I would uh, think that maybe he had good taste in like vegetables and produce. Not I mean, he didn't have bad taste. Yeah, but it wasn't important. It wasn't. What, he wasn't growing to tomatoes with. Or yeah. like, I think maybe like grilling a good steak was sort of yeah. important, or that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, he tended to eat what my mom liked. He liked Asian food a lot, actually. Okay. Um, and you know, it was like '80s suburbia. I think to be like a little transgressive, like the wok was used a lot. Uh huh. Um, That's a big '80s thing. Yeah, it was like stir fry in the wok. Sure, I do uh, that all the time. It's which, great. Which. Uh, I didn't like it all, yeah. um, but my, uh, yeah, my mom made it a lot and my, my dad really liked that. Well, we started to hit upon you, your cooking. So you said mm-hmm. that you made, you make your grandmother's um, German. It, it's, it's been a while. I, I used to make it a little more. Yeah. But what do you make on a typical week? Like what are some of the recipes you like to make? Oh, uh, well, and that, that changed a lot when I moved to LA. So kale mango salad is a big one that I make a lot. Really? Yeah. How, how do you make that? It's uh basically a bunch of black kale that I, uh, massage. Oh, do, um, do you cut the spines out first? Yeah. Oh yeah. You I, do I, I de- de-vein the kale. Yeah. Then, um, do you stem the kale? I don't think you de-vein it because those <laughs> veins are very intricate in the leaves. You're not. Playing oh, de-stem. That's yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to correct you, but it, uh, I read de-vein once and I thought it, Oh really? But uh, D stem. I think sense. yeah, it's the stem. Yeah. I don't yeah. want people to be confused. Sure. They'll, they'll be sitting there forever pulling those veins. <laughs> right. Out. Well, it was, a. Uh, Arthy party or something? There's some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Arty party. Arty party. Yeah, yeah. I think her husband follows me. Oh, cool. Well, sorry. I love your wife's recipe. Yeah. Not my podcast though. <laughs> just on Twitter. <laughs> oh, got it. Yeah, he's probably not listening to this. <laughs> I see. Okay. Yeah, well, I found the recipe there. Uh, so yeah, massage the kale and some um, uh, olive oil and a little salt and okay. then and some lem- like half a squeezed lemon. Okay. And then uh, pepitas on oh. top. Do you toast your pepitas? No. Okay. And then just like one one mango, basically. And then the dressing is important because it's uh, olive oil, honey, and lemon. 
And that, that actually tastes really good. And the mango, do you have to, how do you cut your mango? Do you cut it and then do that thing where you like score it and flip it inside out? Or do I don't, you? Uh, I usually just kind of cut half of it off. And well, there's that cup trick, which I use sometimes. What's the cup trick? Uh, where you hold it here and you go that way and then it comes down into the cup. It's, it's, I, I it's wish I could to, describe what he's doing right now. Look, look, just Google mango cup trick. Okay. It, yeah. Uh, and so, do you cube it? You cut it into little yeah, cubes? Yeah, I cut it into So does your family all eat this or just you eat this? I've made it for my wife a ton of times. So yeah, the the salads we usually make are, well, that's my favorite. And then there's a kale Caesar that I make too. Okay, so kale is big in your family. I think that just happened when I moved to LA and I was uh, like trying to be like a little healthier and sure. then kale came into my life. It's very healthy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I, I like th- it. I, I, people have like a, I think some, you're not used to it, it's it, People think it tastes bad or something, but I, I like know. it when it's like really shredded and massaged. Like I went to a restaurant recently and had a kale salad where it was like big leaves of kale, and I find them like kind of unpleasant to chew through. Oh no, I, I cut it like relatively finely. Yeah, I also like kale in soup. Like you know, um, oh. I've been making a ribolita recently, which is like a cabbage soup, which is funny because I just realized it's connected to my grandmother. Cabbage, boiled cabbage That's in the soup. True. Yeah, wow, yeah. this this is not my you therapy put some session. Dash in there. Yeah, yeah, I should, but it's um be- white white beans, garlic cabbage and then kale it's it sounds better than it is i mean it is better than it sounds right <laughs> <laughs> that, sound, that sounds good uh so is that salad something you eat for dinner or is that lunch or is that with uh, dinner yeah i mean dinner is usually when like the real meals would would happen mm-hmm. um honestly it's been it's been tough since uh frank was born it's my son yeah or like we don't have Cause it's like, by the time he goes to sleep, it's like eight thirty, eight forty five. 45. We used to have dinner a little more. Yeah. But I guess we could get a little better at my wife's has a very busy work. Too, yeah. We sometimes. should say that both Luke and his wife are in the film industry. And so you guys often will have to go away or do. Yeah. You know, and that's gotta be tricky, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Maylene is much more established than I am. So she actually <laughs> has more, more, uh, more access to jobs that are good that are here. And she's an AD. Is that her? She's job? a first assistant director. Assistant yeah. director. And but she, she's been, uh, she just was on ballers on HBO where oh, they cool. bumped her up to associate producer. So she's wow. hoping to expand that part of the uh, resume. So when you guys both get jobs, like how do you work that with a kid? <clears throat> well, he's in daycare. Okay. But I mean, like if you, if you both got a job that took you away, what would you do? Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Right. Okay. Where both of us have gone away. Cause you went to Toronto. Yeah. I went to Toronto. She, uh, she was in Portland two summers ago. But, I see. Okay. So but, you guys uh, are mostly here. Yeah. We, yeah. Then that, that was the only time we moved Frank for a, a job. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we're both working, then it's, it's hard. It's like he's in daycare. And then we also have a, a nighttime nanny who picks him up from daycare mm-hmm. until he goes to sleep. It's one of those things where it's like the nighttime nanny is like absolutely essential. Or mm-hmm. if we're like both not working, then it just feels like this ludicrous right. luxury. Sure. But when we're all home with, with this woman for two hours, who's just kind of like cleaning up after us. It's, it's very, uh, <laughs> but, it's awkward, I mean, frankly. Yeah. you do what you have to do. I mean, it's, it's well, cause you got to keep her on. It's like, yeah. um, Right, you can't it, just tell her we, are, we don't need you today. It's yeah. like you need her ten hours a week and these odd hours. So I sort of, right? Yeah, who's gonna? Yeah, so that's just sort of the price of doing business. But so when you, um, so I guess it, the, the image I'm starting to get in my head though is that because of your work schedule and because of Maylene's like grabbing food, it, it seems like is just a part for the court. It's just like part of how you have to live your life because it's sort of you're on the go. You're yeah. 
I mean, to Maylene's credit, she really will try to plan out a meal to make or, mm-hmm. or, or something. And then we, we just moved to a house this year, a new house. Oh, cool. Um, Where? In uh, South Pasadena. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. You guys got to come over. I love Pasadena. Um, it's actually not to, it's a sa- sa- South, which yeah. is a much better school district. South Pas- and South Pasadena is its own town. Yeah. It's sort of like Virginia, West Virginia. It's like yeah, two different I things. have friends that um, have children, though, in public school in L.A., but they're, they're basically like they want to move to South Pasadena because the schools there are the schools are really good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Was that what you were thinking about when you moved there? Um, for sure. And the that TV show I worked on, Gordimer Gibbons, we, yeah. we ended up we shot a lot of it in South Pasadena, uh-huh. which was it's a very idyllic kind of. It's a great place. place to grow up. Yeah. So yeah, it was, and it was. We used to live in Highland Park, which was one neighborhood over. So we always kind of thought maybe we would try to get over there. And then yeah, this year we actually bought the house when I was in Toronto. I I had not seen the house. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. How did that happen? It all happened really quickly because there were only so many houses that become available that were right. in our price range. So and did Maylene find it and just text? We both found it independently on Zillow. Oh. And then like text each other and then. She and Frank were actually visiting me in Toronto when the whole like bidding process happened. So we said n- neither of you had seen it. No, she had seen it. Uh, but but when, once we were actually like putting in offers and stuff, it was crazy. We had to. I had to transfer power of attorney to Maylene just so she could do the stuff or whatever. Yeah. But since we were in Toronto, it's like basically impossible to do it. So we had to drive one morning to Niagara Falls <laughs> to like go to a UPS store in a, a strip mall. Uh, to get them to sign this one like piece of paper so she could go back and basically conduct all the business. So, I mean, yeah, I was, I was working hard in Toronto, but she was, she was working full time and like holding down the fort and like basically orchestrating a move. So uh, it was, no, it was, it was a difficult year. No wonder you needed a cheesesteak today. I wish I would have given you permission to get it. (laughs) Well, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, work is, Neither of us are on like a job, so we're uh, have a lot more control of our schedule. So I yeah. feel there's just a real sense of like, whew, we got through it. We right. finally have a house. We can just enjoy it. Now. That's so nice. Is the kitchen nice? It's awesome. Oh, that's great. That's like my dream is to have a really big kitchen. We redid the kitchen, so that that was the one thing that we did yeah. that needed work. So well, Luke, we're getting towards the end of this. Okay, how do you feel so far? Do you feel thor- thoroughly therapized? Um, I'm trying to think what, what, what are the takeaways here? What, uh, oh, well, I, I think we most, never got to the artichokes. Oh yeah. What did the artichokes mean to you? He has a single tear trickling down his cheek right now. I'm just kidding. It probably comes from the same place that the Brie does, mm-hmm. which is artichokes and Brie are probably things when I was growing up that I thought were fancy or something. Uh-huh. So it feels like a special occasion kind of thing. Or just like not something that or that I would feel a little silly even wanting it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, well, I, I, feel like, I, think, I feel like there are certain themes that have come up in today's podcast, okay. psych- psychological evaluation of your lunch. But one of them is like giving yourself permission to do something nice for yourself. Like, like, yeah. like, the, like the license to... To go to get the cheesesteak versus the burger or the, right. giving yourself permission to like get a fancy well, and, ingredient. And probably it's interesting because the real family dishes like the talking about Pennsylvania Dutch style chicken pot pie and chicken corn soup. Like these are um, sort of the opposite of fancy in a way mm-hmm. or like it's like very practical barn raising farm food mm-hmm. kind of thing. So. I guess there's maybe something about indulging in brie or artichokes that 
makes me feel pretentious or something. Well, it makes me think a lot about your creative journey too. Like, you know, coming from Delaware, coming from like a small town and then become winning an Academy Award. It's sort of like to have big dreams. It's like, I'm not going to get the conventional, you know, cheddar and uh, onions. (laughs) I'm going to get scallions, gouda and artichokes. Like (laughs) you, you made a fancier life for yourself. Yeah, maybe I feel more entitled to do that now. Well, that's interesting with the co-seat, like, because when I got to film school, that was really different for me because, and I I have had close friends my whole life, but there was, film school was the first time maybe I felt like I had found my people a little Uh more. Sure. So that's when I indulged in the brie at the uh ah, there so you felt my, safe you felt like you can in the, in the safe confines of yeah, other, yeah. other ambitious i people. wasn't gonna be judged for getting brie or or um this actually paints my parents in a inaccurate light because my mom my mom was sort of an adventure or she would like to try a thing or yeah. I, I feel like this is suggesting that like you had a repressed childhood or, or that they they were not adventurous at all right when they actually were, I mean, they were kind of hippie. They used to be hippies and then kind of moved to the suburbs sort of uh-huh. thing. Um, it was more like my neighbors who just had hot dogs and like <laughs> and uh, mac and cheese, which I was like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. Right. I see. Um, so you're breaking through the conventions of the, <laughs> the community that you grew up in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes me also somehow think about your hair at the Academy Awards because it sort of feels like even at the fanciest thing in the world, which is the Academy Awards, you still held on to like some sense of who you were and you know, where you came from. Yeah. It's like I'm chained to it or something. Yeah. Or that you're, you never want to get too highfalutin. You never want to let yourself get too high on the hog and think of yourself as too much of an artichoke, but maybe you'll put your artichoke on a burger. This is, this is exactly right. All right. We got it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, at the end of every podcast, I, I start with, what did you have for lunch? I end with, what are you having for dinner tonight? Um, a friend is inviting me and Maylene and Frank over to have some brisket. He's doing a uh, test run for some brisket he's doing for his family this weekend. So. Is it a Jewish brisket? Because that's a very specific thing. Is he I, Jewish? No. So oh. I don't think it is. Okay. Uh, so it's and, probably like and, smoked and brisket. Maybe. He has a four-year-old son and who gets along with Frank. So A 40-year-old son? Four-year-old son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be really creepy. Um, no, like there's like Jewish brisket has like prunes and like it's like a sweet. It's not. It's not. I guarantee I'm you, it's not that's like not that. what you're yeah, having yeah. at all. All right. Um, well, if it was though, the quarter Jewish part of you would yeah. really I, enjoy I would like that. One quarter of it, very much. Yeah. <laughs> well, Luke, I hope you felt good about this. I, yeah, I, I thought I, I cry very easily. I thought I was going to uh, cry. You know, I'm uncomfortable with crying, so I might have like unconsciously like. Do people um, cry a lot on this? I've only listened to the David Leibovitz one. Who did not cry? Um, Nicole Rucker cries. Okay. And I won't tell you why. You'll have to listen to it. Did it seem like it was a disposition thing? Like it would be pretty easy to make her cry? No. I think I think we just got to an emotional place. It, actually, I felt oh, like it, was when, like, it was like real therapy. Yeah, but I felt like when you started talking about your dad and as an authority figure, you may as well have gotten... I mean, I, I felt like you were getting emotional. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I thought we got to some emotional stuff and it here. Is, yeah, it's the holidays. Do you want to cry? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, Luke. I was, I thought I was being silly. I'm glad this isn't a video. Oh, you really, you're doing, are you okay? Yeah, I guess there's an expectation that I'll cry at some point during therapy. So I guess I had to get it out of me. Oh, that was very, yeah. Well, I think it's it's very healing to cry. 
Or was it, did something specific bring it on or was it just sort of the overall thinking about your life in a one hour capsule session? Um, I guess, uh, Probably thinking about, uh, I guess, being a father mm-hmm. and being old enough now to to remember to remember my dad at this age. Mm. <laughs> Hey, so I stopped recording here, obviously, because Luke was getting so emotional and he needed to take some time for himself. But he wanted me to tell you after that um, part of the reason that he got so emotional was that his father had passed away. And so he hadn't said that in the podcast itself. So that was partially what he was feeling in that moment. But I want to thank Luke again for coming on and just being so open and what a surprisingly moving ending this was to this week's episode. So thanks again, Luke.